the Sunday Sermons Podcast. How many have heard the word blessed or blessing or some version of that just really recently, maybe in this morning, okay? Maybe you walked in this morning and said, hey, how are you? And somebody said, I'm blessed. Anybody? Okay, good. Or maybe somebody sneezed and you said, bless you. There we go. You, you know what I'm talking about. Or here in the South, you might have seen somebody do something really, really dumb and you say, well, bless your heart. Because that's what that means here in the South. I think everybody knows that. Some of you are visiting. That means God help you. That was incredibly dumb. <laughs> but in the Bible, all of the ideas that we have about blessings and curses, are it's different. than Some of our ideas fit into it, but God's ideas don't really fit into ours. So let me clarify really quickly. Uh, we might think of blessings or curses as kind of Good wishes, like have a nice day or have a blessed day. Uh, I, I hope things go. That kind of fits into the blessing, but that's not really the biblical idea. Or we might think of it as some sort of a magic spell or a incantation or a magic lamp or something like that. That's kind of mentioned in the Bible, but it's not a good idea in the Bible. Are you following me on that? Same thing with curses. We, we met, the Bible talks about things we shouldn't say to other people. We should bless and not curse. And some words fit into that. Certainly magic spells that put curses on people is off limits for Christians. That kind of fits into it. But the idea of blessings and curses in the scripture is way bigger than that. So really quickly, let me summarize it. And then we're going to unpack it the rest of our time here this morning. Are you ready? And the, the core concept of blessing in the scripture is that God empowers us to live fully. That's the core idea. God empowers us to live fully according to his original design within his will. And when we're doing that, we have purpose. We have meaning in our lives. We have a harmonious relationship between us and God and us and the people that we're doing life with. We have, it it works. Sometimes all of the blessings that we think about, you know, we're healthy, we're We got money, whatever other things we might associate. You get to eat ice cream. You don't gain weight from it. Those are things that we think of as blessings. Sometimes that might fit in here, but that's not really the core concept. Does this make sense? And the same thing with curses. Scripturally speaking, all it means is for whatever reason, whether it's your fault, somebody else's fault, regardless, you've been removed from where God's ultimate blessings are. You're not in the zone where he's... You're in the center of his will. You're not in the spot where you can have complete harmony with him or the people around you. You've been removed from that. And underneath all the other definitions and symptoms of blessings and curses, those are the two big ideas. Does this make sense so far? Okay, so keep that in mind as we go because we got a lot of ground to cover. And that idea of blessing, that idea of blessing starts all the way back in the beginning. Literally the beginning. God brings Light out of darkness. And over the next couple of days, he brings order and even beauty out of chaos. And he brings life out of all that. And the crowning achievement of the whole thing is human beings that he makes in his image. And this is so important. Please hear me on this. Part of the blessing, part of how he empowered us was he gave us responsibilities and he gave us relationship guidelines This is how I want your relationships with each other and with me to look like. 
And he gave us choices that actually matter and actually helped shape the story. He didn't put us in full control. He's got some parameters that he's still in control, but he gives us choices that actually matter. And those aren't curses. Those aren't, those aren't things that he's doing because we messed up somehow. Responsibilities, meaningful work to do, things that he expects us to do together and ways to relate to each other, those aren't something he had to add later. That's part of the original blessing. That's what it looks like when God empowers us to live fully. We tracking? This means yes, this means no. This is a thumbs up emoji. That's a thumbs down emoji. Okay, yeah, we got this. Here we go. So the last couple of weeks, we've been exploring these mountaintop experiences in the Bible, and we're remembering together that God genuinely gives us the ability to start over. And when that happens, we actually become transformed. We don't just have this great moment and then just go back to how we were. If we follow through, we can actually be changed. And then we get to start playing our part well. This morning, we're taking all of that even further. What does it look like to live blessed? What does it look like to live and be a blessing? That's where we're heading today. And as we have several times, we're going back to the story of Moses, but I promise you it all points to Jesus. And we're actually going to talk a lot about Jesus today, and Jesus changed everything. Did you hear what I just said right there? Okay, here we go. Deuteronomy 11, we're back in the old covenant here where Moses and Israel are approaching Sinai the first time. Here we go. He says, see, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after the other gods that you have not yet known. Again, the old covenant points toward Jesus. Our choices still matter. We still have responsibilities. We still have relationship guidelines, but we no longer have to earn our way into God's favor. Jesus took care of that. The choices and responsibilities are on the other side of us accepting that gift from him. Make sense? Okay. We keep going though. Here's Moses. He sets it up. This is the old covenant. Here's the blessing. Here's the curse. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebel. He sets up this really cool ceremony. It's really different because what they're going to do is go through not every single one of the laws, but a bunch of them in a really unique way. Gerizim is going to represent the, the mountain of blessing, and Ebel is going to represent the cursing in the biblical sense. Are you still following me on this? Okay. They're not screaming and cussing at each other on this mountain. They're not doing magic potions on this one. Okay. But on this side, they're saying, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, it will go well with you. And on the other side, they say, if you do not love the Lord your God, but you follow idols, it will not go well with you. Does this make sense? Okay, so they're shouting back and forth between these two mountains, right in the very center of what we now call the Holy Land. And over the years, it's been called Canaan, the Promised Land, Israel, Palestine, Samaria. But you know, in the middle of that, 
those, that little map you always see in Bible, Bible school rooms, you know what I'm talking about? Right in the center is these two mountains. And they're close enough that they can kind of, you can shout between them. So in Joshua, when it's finally his turn and he leads them into the promised land, watch what happens. All the Israelites with their elders, officials, and judges were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. That's right down the middle in between the two mountains, all the priests and everybody there. Then half of the tribes went one way, half the other. Okay, just picture how cool that would have looked. Both the foreigners living among them and the native born were there. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal. And as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formerly commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. So they do it. It's going to go well with you if you do this. It's not going to well, go well with you if you don't. And they go through that list. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. Isn't that beautiful? Even back then, when those people weren't even counted, the women and children and the foreigners living among them, they got to participate. It was made clear that it was for everybody. So time passed. They had this cool blessing. They were reminded of it. But how many know that Israel actually didn't follow God the whole time? Yeah, you've heard a couple Bible stories. It didn't take too long. Joshua did pretty well most of his life, and, and it was really good. And then it started getting worse and worse. And then we have the era of the judges, okay? And it just kept, there's this cycle where things are okay. They rebel against God. He removes his blessing. Things go really, really bad. Somebody stands up for God. God goes, oh, okay, here we go. He empowers them again. They come back around, but it gets worse and worse each time. Is this making sense? And in the middle of all that, you have this guy called Gideon, who was a great guy, and he, we love his story. But the end of his story was one of his sons named Abimelech decided he wanted to be the ruler of all of God's people at that time. And so he killed off all his brothers. Well, he tried really hard. He missed one, a guy named Jotham. And then he says, look how powerful I am. You should make me your leader. And the people fell for it. So his one, one brother that succeeded, Jotham, watch what he did. And by the way, this all happened right smack in the middle of the land. In that day, it was called Samaria. But watch what happened. Shechem was a town in Samaria. Watch what? Judges 9, verse 7. Then Jotham was told about this. He climbed up on the top of Mount Gerizim and shouted to them, Listen to me, you citizens of Shechem, so that... God may listen to you. And he lays it out pretty clearly. You should read the whole chapter. He's like, if you follow a leader that got their power that way, if you're going that direction, it's not gonna go well. But I'm giving you a chance. Look where I'm standing. Do you remember those things we yelled at each other? Do you remember those stories our grandparents told us? Come on, guys. You could be blessed. You could be empowered to live full lives. 
Just saying. And then he runs away because he knows Abimelech's going to kill him. One of my favorite stories about Jesus himself is that he went to Samaria. It's in John chapter 4. And if you haven't read that in a while, or even if you read it this morning, you should go back and read it again today. It's a beautiful story about Jesus encountering somebody whose life really kind of illustrates what a biblical curse looks like. I don't know that all of her choices were her fault. We don't even know the details of what happened. But you can tell the little bit of her story that this was not a woman who felt blessed. This was not a woman who was popular. This is not a woman who felt like life was going her way. This was not someone that everybody was like, I want to be like her. Are you following me on this? The woman at the well, you've heard this story, right? The woman at the well, praise God. But did you notice how Jesus treats her? So much love, so much respect. And he offers her a way out of the curse and back into the blessing. Just right out there. He just lays it out. Come on back with me. One thing that you might not know is a a little less than 10 years, a little less than a decade before Jesus was born, the Samaritans had built a temple for themselves in Samaria. Guess where they built it? Mount Gerizim. Okay, They built it up there because it represented to them the place of blessing. And even though they were excluded from the temple built on Mount Moriah or Mount Zion in Jerusalem, they were excluded from the Israelites. None of the Israelites liked them. They still wanted to live within a blessing. They still wanted to seek God. And so they built a temple there. And that's what she's talking about when she has this discussion with Jesus. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claimed that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He had her attention. He goes on. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and the worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Let me say it again in case anybody missed it. Jesus changes everything. Would you say that out loud with me? Jesus changes everything. And again, we have this free gift that he gives us. He he, he frees us from having to travel to a certain spot to worship God. Whichever spot, okay? Even if it was a pretty good spot. Even if it was a meaningful spot. He's going to take it deeper. And and he uses two very clear Greek words. I want to point out again. I, I know this sounds like I just do this all the time. But seriously... How confusing is it when we all use the same words to mean different things? Okay? You're really dumb. I heard you sneeze. God wants to bless you. It's, it's pretty clear. We, we got to know what these words mean. So, so, so humor me. The word spirit, the translate spirit here is pneuma. And it does mean spirit in the sense it's referring very clearly here to the spirit of God, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit of God. But that same word is also translated wind, energy, soul, breath. 
It's the same thing that God breathed into humanity when he first breathed them into life. He breathed his breath, his life, his energy, his essence into them. And in the middle of that first blessing was responsibility and relationship guidelines and the ability to make real choices that really matter. And Jesus says, I want worshipers who worship me in spirit, in the spirit. They're in tune with my energy, my heart. The Holy Spirit is driving the train and their spirit, their heart, their soul, everything that makes them them, their breath is actually worshiping me. And and when he talks about worship, the word there is proskununtas, and it literally means those who prostrate themselves, those who bow down in allegiance before someone. And however we worship, some of us like rowdy music, some like quiet music, some wish we didn't have music at all. And I, I love them too. I love those people just as much as I love everybody else. We, we all have different tastes. Some of us wish we all wore robes and lit candles here. Some of us are so glad we don't. None of that honestly matters that much to Jesus. What matters is, are you worshiping in truth? Are you, are you worshiping the real Jesus? Are you worshiping in harmony with his Holy Spirit? Is your whole spirit worshiping him? And if it is... What that looks like is everything we say, pray, eat, and drink, give, explore in the scriptures. The whole thing is us bowing down to God, pledging allegiance to him, recommitting one more time. Yes, you're in control. Jesus says, look, one of these days, actually, it's already happening now. That's what it's going to look like. I just think that's beautiful. And that happened in Samaria, and it happened not on Mount Gerizim or Mount Ebel, but smack in the middle where Jesus is just making up. He goes, you know what? It doesn't matter if you go over here. Here's what it matters. Follow me. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am here. So if we're going to make wise choices in this life, the most wise choice, the first wise choice, the rock solid foundation for any other wise choice has got to be choosing to follow Jesus. Would you agree with me? Can I get an amen or something? Hallelujah. All truly wise choices begin with him. And Jesus himself offers salvation to us as a free gift. But don't miss his design from literally day one. That free gift comes with responsibilities, not as a curse, not as a way to earn it, but that's part of the blessing. That's part of what he designed us to do. And he's going to give us some relationship guidelines, not just relationships like married relationships or dating relationships, all the relationships, how to treat your parents and your children, how to treat friends, how to treat enemies, how to treat literally everybody. He's going to give us this, not as a curse, not as a judgment, as part of the blessing. And then we get to choose how and where and when we're going to live that way. 
because that's how he does it. He empowers us to live fully. Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus himself said that he is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And he said this, I say it all, a lot, because, but see if you don't understand it, maybe just a little bit better this morning. He said, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. I come that you might have life, life to the full. He wants us to be blessed. He wants us to experience what he designed for us all along. He said things like this all the time. I am the vine. You are the branches. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Even our ideas that we get straight out of the Bible about heaven and about hell. Boy, that's a rabbit hole we don't have time to go down to this morning. But let me just tell you, the images that is used in the scripture, that are used in the scripture to describe both those places have to do with blessing and cursing. They have to do with a city with walls and protection and all the food and all the drinks and everything you need. The, 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 the sh- streets actually shine. You can easily find your way around. Are you with me? Everybody you love is there. God himself is there. There's fellowship. That's blessing. And even some of the other terms, alternative terms for hell that are used by Jesus himself are words like Gehenna. Gehenna was a, a trash dump outside of Jerusalem. And all the living people and all the good stuff was kept inside the city. And all the other stuff got thrown outside the city and got burnt. There were worms that lived there. And so he compared that to hell. Are you you following me on this? C.S. Lewis puts it this way. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Nobody says, hey, I want to go to hell. But they say, you know what? I don't want to go that direction. I don't want to go to Mount Gerizim. I want to go to Mount Ebel and take my chances. And God says, okay. John Maxwell says, people who use time wisely spend it on activities that advance their overall purpose in life. That's the kind of choices Jesus gives us now. If you believe in Jesus, you believe Sharing the truth is important. You believe having healthy relationships with other people is important. You believe sharing the gospel is important. Then we need to make that happen. If we're investing our lives in other things, we've got to grow up to the point that we're not just talking about, is it right or wrong? Am I going to get rewarded or punished? Is this going to get me to heaven or send me to hell? Or those kind of questions. It's, hey, I live within the blessing that I have accepted from Jesus. How, what is the best possible way that I can live here in this blessing? What is the best possible way that I can shine the light from this city on the hill that I've been gifted the ability to live in? What is the best possible way? What's the next step I need to take? And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you here at Morrison Hill, I think in general, we do a great job. 
I hope you never hear me condemning you as saying, nobody gets this right. Everybody's wrong. Nobody's ever heard any of this stuff before ever. Nobody ever does it. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, this reminds me so much of my prayers for you. Paul wrote this in Philippians. I thank my God every time I remember you. And all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Did you hear me say that? Good job. I love you. However, Mount Gerizim would have been a much bigger, better thing. We would have, that'd be on the tip of our tongues, maybe even more than Mount Sinai, if people would have followed through. They heard the blessing, they heard the alternative, but they didn't follow through. It's the follow through where it actually matters. And we can all go, yeah, this matters here together. And a lot of us can kind of live that way. But imagine if all of us totally lived that way. Imagine if this is how we did life, 100%. We actually built every minute we chose what job we do. We chose what, how we treat our families, how we treat our friends, how we treat our neighbors, how we treat our enemy, anybody, how, based on Jesus. Imagine how that could bless the entire world. Somebody blessed me this week with a book that I've sort of been quoting for a while already, but I never read the book. I've read all the other people who quoted the book. It's a book called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And it opens with a delightful true story about a place called Rosetta, Pennsylvania. Rosetto, sorry, Rosetto, Pennsylvania. And I I wish I had time to go into all the details, but here's the bottom line. If you're a geneticist or you're into any kind of, a whole bunch of fields of science, you might've heard of the Rosetto effect. And it comes from this place. What, What happened was almost an entire village from Italy, Rosetto in Italy, moved to America and they all built a community together. They have one church. You know how many churches we have in Rome County? Way over a hundred. It's craziness. They have one. They, they spend their afternoons, their evenings after working together, they spend it hanging out. They visit with each other. They do life together. And here's the amazing thing. They only die of old age. There's very, very few exceptions. People who live in Rosetta, Pennsylvania, Rosetto, Pennsylvania, don't have heart disease, cancer, a whole bunch of other things that everybody else has. It happens sometimes, but it's very rare. It's not something that everybody's scared to death of because it's probably going to happen to me. And it's probably, it's already happened to this person, this person. And they, they started studying them because they were like, why is this? Is it what they eat? Is there something in the water? What is it? Do they work out really hard? What, what is it? What is it? And what they found out was they just do community really well. Really, really, really well. Imagine if that's what people said about us. I'm not guaranteeing that none of us would ever get any kind of diseases But what if it was rare because, you know, a lot of diseases are caused by stress. A lot of diseases are caused by loneliness. A lot of diseases are caused by the stuff, getting so absorbed with social media, you don't interact with real life and real people anymore. 
What if what we all collectively were known for is we do life together and we do it God's way? Wouldn't that be a blessing? And it's not like God curses us. Oh, too much time on this phone for you, my friend. Cancer. It's not like that. But there are blessings that we don't even think about having access to because we don't go there. We live on Mount Ebel instead of on Mount Gerizim. Are, are, are we tracking? Is this making sense? That little town in Samaria where Jesus went was completely transformed because that woman followed through. She's like, this is the Messiah. I got to tell everybody. And she goes running back. And Jesus and his disciples stayed the night for a couple more nights. The disciples were changed because they had to get over their prejudice issues to be able to even go into the town or eat some of their food. Jesus, I don't know if he was changed, but this was, here's what I know. This was the first place. She was the first person that heard that he's the Messiah out loud. This was the first place that got transformed. Because she didn't just keep it to herself. She goes running in. You've got to see this guy. And they all come out to Jesus. And then Jesus and his people go in with them. And they all fellowship together. And their whole place has changed. There's not just truth shouted from one mountain or another. There is community that follows up on it. This is where God has taken us, my friends. This is where we're headed. We're already on that journey. Morrison Hill does a pretty good job, but here's what I believe. One of these days, somebody's going to be saying, there's a Morrison Hill effect. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Not because of us, but because we actually just get it right. And we don't just do community. However, we divide how we define community. We do it God's way. And so we are empowered by God to do it even better. Does that sound like... Does that sound good to you guys? It 100% sounds good to me. One of these days, I believe, we're all going to grow up beyond just asking questions. Can I get by with this? Is this right or wrong? Should I shout this one from Mount Gerizim or Mount Ebel? Should I yell about how wrong this is? Or should I crusade for how right this is? And instead we go, how do I live within this freedom, within this power, within this joy that I've been given freely by Jesus Christ himself? And how do I team up with this body that he's given me? How do I figure out how to live that way and share that and invite more and more people daily into that? How could we actually be defined by these truths that we remember together sometimes? What if every minute of every day was that? Imagine. So you got to choose wisely. Some of the spiritual disciplines that might really help is simplicity and stewardship. You ever heard of those? Simplicity is where you just get rid of the literal stuff or the stuff on your calendar that's distracting you. Not because it's wrong, not because it's sinful, not because God's going to curse you or hurt you on purpose because you do them, but because they're distracting you from something better. You're, you're missing the real blessing because you do those things. Get rid of it. Stewardship is simply, we say, hey, how do I use whatever I've been given to get the most important stuff done? Whatever time I have, 
whatever health I have, whatever stuff I have, money I have, whatever relationships I have, skills I have, spiritual gifts I have. How do I invest that in the things that are the most important? And when we live that way, man, there's power. So there's some questions you can ask if you're going to follow through this morning, and I sure hope you do. Or you guys just wasted a couple minutes over half an hour, and I'm wasting my whole life because I tell you this stuff every week, and I'm expecting it's going to go somewhere. That's up to you. You get to choose if you're going to follow through. So maybe you can write this down at the bottom of your thing today or put it in your phone or whatever you need to do. What are you going to stop doing so that you can do something even better? What are you going to start doing this week? Not because it's right or wrong or you can't get into heaven because of it, but because you have been gifted with freedom. You have been empowered by Jesus Christ himself. And in that freedom, in that joy that you could never earn, he's given you, as he always does, responsibilities and some guidelines about how to do life together and some choices that matter. Here's some of your choices. What are you going to stop? What are you going to start? What kind of a growth group are you in? Are you in one yet? Or maybe you need to start one. What kind of service team are you helping out with? Are you in one yet? Which one are you going to join? Which one are you going to start? What are you doing in the community? What are you going to do? That's up to you. Because God has blessed you. God has empowered you with everything you need to live fully. The choice is up to you about how and exactly when and where and why. Hebrews 12, one says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's what this invitation is about this morning. When you see somebody coming up here to pray, people come with them, It doesn't mean something's terribly wrong in their life. Maybe they just thought of some really cool thing they want to start and they're going to pray about it. It doesn't mean that they're broken and ruined. It doesn't mean that, oh my gosh, what happened to them? They just need to pray and that's meaningful to people. If it's meaningful at all to you, it's meaningful to the rest of us to see that people are responding. We can't tell when you're there in the pews. But if that creeps you out and this is coming forward as a whole thing, I get it. But would would you respond to God in your pews? Don't just stand there. Would you tell him, hey, here's what I'm going to stop doing today. Here's what I'm going to start doing. Would you make that choice? And if you've got some sort of a decision that needs to be public today, would you come forward and help us walk you through that? Help you give your life to Jesus the first time or give it back to him or or whatever else. If you need private prayer, there's going to be somebody back there by that clock. And they'll pray with you and nobody will even know. But I beg you, follow through on this opportunity you're given right here. This is a safe place. This is a place where you'll be applauded for responding instead of judged for it. This is a place where everybody's like, yes, God's actually doing something instead of, gosh, what's wrong with them? Whatever you need to do, do it as we stand and as we sing.